So hello and welcome to the Expat Pod. My name is James, your host, and today I'm joined by my friend Kate, who I've known for a long time. So I think since 2015 or 16, uh, when we were both living in Oxford. And we met because I played volleyball for the university and you were still living there after previously playing volleyball for the university. So yeah, if you want to give yourself an introduction, that'd be great. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I'm Kate and um, I guess as uh, as James said, yeah, we met when I was living in Oxford and I, I'm originally Portuguese. Um, I'm half Portuguese, half Kiwi. So my mum's Portuguese, my dad's from New Zealand. Um, I <laughs> will caveat this by saying I did live in Portugal pretty much until I was, well, pretty much my whole life until I was 18. Um, but I did spend about a month, um, between Australia, New Zealand and America. So my accent is an absolute sort of international mess of an accent, but, uh, <laughs> here we are. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess I moved to the UK, which is still where I'm living now. Um, and it's sort of my main experience of living abroad. Wonderful. Thank you for joining me again. And we'll get into the podcast. So hello, welcome to section one of the podcast, all about getting there. So, Kate, this is where we're going to ask you some questions about how you or why you moved, or both, why you moved and how you moved to the UK predominantly, uh, because that's probably your most traveling as an adult. I guess the living and uh, moving around New Zealand was, I guess, for holidays with your parents, um, which we can get into a bit of understanding the cultural differences. Yeah. But let's go predominantly with uh, moving to the UK. So you moved for studying originally? Yeah. So <laughs> in a way, it's kind of a funny story because I... Um, so as I said, I did all my school in Portugal and like all my classes, everything in Portuguese. And when it came to like deciding like what to study for, at university, I, I think I told my parents I wanted to do English literature and they are both English literature lecturers in Portugal. And they met, um, when they were both actually sort of doing their, um, sort of post, like, I don't know, doctorates or, or um, sort of studies when they were both in London. And so when I sort of said, oh, I'd like to study English literature, they were both sort of very much of the opinion that I shouldn't do it in Portugal and that I should move to England and give that a go. And uh, yeah, I guess I, I figured why not? Obviously it made sense to me. Um, you'd Rather than be the like big fish in a little pond studying it in Portugal, I'd sort of go and challenge myself a bit and go to the UK where obviously I at the time um, obviously if you think I grew up speaking mostly in Portuguese my English wasn't necessarily where it is today um, so I would only speak in English with my dad when I was back home and um, being like bilingual naturally I think one language is always a little bit stronger than the other um, but yeah I, feel, I felt like why not definitely like up for the challenge so then I started looking into how like what would studying in the UK look like? How to even choose a university? Like, what would that actually look like? Um, process is very different to Portugal. Um, even timelines of like when when to actually like start applying for university. Like, in that was like the main thing that struck me. I think at the time, I I think thankfully I decided what I wanted to study in like September October time of my last year at school. 
And you, in Portugal, to apply for university, you do it after your final exams. You do it in like July, like August time of like your like after your school's done. Um, so it's like you have your grades, you apply versus school application time then because they must know like oh they've got three A's yeah from here yeah so it's literally like you have to have like the height well like each university has their own grading um that they would expect for certain degrees but it's like okay you don't really have to worry too much until the end of the year versus in England it was like okay you have to apply and then you get a conditional offer right or and then you have to like maintain those grades or improve those grades and uh, just added a massive amount of stress um, to like that final year of school. And I remember my friends sort of not really understanding, you know, like, oh, you know, why you sort of have to maintain these grades? Because um, I think like as an international student, they were asking for very high grades as well, um, which is... Well, I guess it's the English literature as well, because English isn't your... Well, it is kind of your first language but they might not know that from yeah portuguese applicant. yeah i had to do the whole like language exam even with a new zealand passport like it wasn't enough you still had to like prove that you, you like my english language it's like american english you know <laughs> yeah they didn't trust that um but yeah i mean i i guess i i um i sort of narrowed my choices of universities down and my dad and i came over my dad, my stepmother and I came over and we did a little road trip and like went to all the universities to decide where to like actually even apply to and what I liked. Um, and I remember I didn't even apply to any university in London. Um, actually, I made that choice very early on that I didn't see myself moving to London as a first sort of place. Mm. Um, and I ended up sort of deciding on Canterbury. <laughs> Um, not super well known. Um, obviously, it was a bit of a surprise to a lot of people when I said that, but it was mainly because it was quite similar to where I grew up in terms of size of town. Um, it was near a beach, or you know, you could get to the beach on like a short bus trip or like a ten k run if you wanted to. Um, but it was it was getting back, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> getting back, you get the bus. <laughs> Um, but it was, it was like, it was very comparable. Like I could walk everywhere. It felt like very, um, it, it was like, it was very, it was like a safe, maybe a comfortable choice, perhaps. It was like, it wasn't necessarily going to be a huge leap into like a massive city. It was like campus, university. Um, so it all in all, it just sort of ticked all those boxes for me of like jumping into the unknown, but there was enough of like the known mixed in. The comfortable step. Mm. But because I don't know, I've not been to Canterbury, but I don't think I have anyway. <laughs> I've not spent any time in there. I've probably driven through it on the way to Dover or something. But um, what, what part of Portugal are you from then, just for reference? Mm, so I'm um, I'm from a city called Aveiro, and that's sort of between Porto and Lisbon, um, right on the coast, uh, like beaches 10 minutes away. Um, it's, again, the sort of place where you grow up, you walk everywhere. You, I, I didn't you know you don't need a driver's license you don't really you can literally just walk over to your friend's place for the most part or you know cycle over to the beach and it's super safe super small you sort of grow up you know the same people your whole life um you're friends with everyone since like preschool up until like you graduate so it's it's a very uh, yeah it's a very sort of small city um i would say maybe community as opposed to a city yeah yeah i mean i'd say now i think it's become quite touristy in a way 
because it has grown. But it was when I grew up, it was it wasn't like on the map, let's say. So it was small. Okay. And just to hop back at one point, so your parents both teach English literature <laughs> and they're telling you not to study it in Portugal. Does not really fill me with confidence that they're good at the job. <laughs> I think, in fact, they both said they're the best, <laughs> and I couldn't have them as my <laughs> lecturers, so <laughs> I had to go elsewhere. I mean, that's a that's a good save from their point of view. That, that is literally. Okay. We can't teach you. It's it's not ethical. Yeah, that's literally so what they go. told me. <laughs> Wow. And then, so I guess you obviously moved significantly before breaks happened. So I'm yeah. guessing the whole process was quite seamless. Super seamless. I remember, um, like, yeah, I got my, uh, yeah, I got like the final offer in from the university. I like accommodation. Obviously, it was like the first year was on campus with it being like a campus university. So like you just sort of pick within that. And I literally just... Um, packed two suitcases and my mum flew over with me, helped me set up. And uh, yeah, I think I sort of moved in maybe on like day one of Freshers Week, uh, <laughs> which I had no idea what that was. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. That was, that well, was my first cultural that. shock. <laughs> and then after Canterbury, um, did you go home or did you start your master's or did you do something I, in between? Yeah, no, I, I decided um, to do my master's straight after. Um, I felt like if I had a break, I probably would never go back to do it. And I think that was probably right. I don't think I would have. Um, so, yeah, then I ended up going to Oxford. Um, so I went to Oxford for my master's and, yeah, stayed there for a couple of years as well. It's great. City. It is. <laughs> it really is. my favorite place, apart from where Say I in the country. In terms of a city to live in, where I'd love to live, um, if possible. Yeah, I wouldn't then, mind going back. And then after that, finding what how how was that what did you have to do in terms of uh workplace um, was it you graduated so it was it was an interesting time i think because when i it, literally the day i graduated from my master's was brexit day um i remember waking up yeah i genuinely i remember the day i woke up from my graduation looked at my phone i was like oh no because everyone thought like it's not gonna happen there's no way and yeah, so you're literally graduation day was everything every everyone was speaking about. Just like Brexit, what does this mean? Um, almost everyone on my course was international. Uh, and it was just like, what what now? Uh, and I remember because you had to like apply or I think I'd already had like my national insurance to like start working, but it, it was almost like everything so unknown that you I didn't worry to begin with. Um, so I had like my first few jobs in Oxford. So I didn't think about any sort of implications uh my parents were quite worried I think they were always like what does this mean are you going to come back uh, <laughs> um but ultimately once they sort of then mentioned this sort of settled status or that you could apply for a residency I remember calling um to like know what do I need to do to to get this residency or like settled status or or whatever it was at the time and I was told um interestingly and maybe still stings a little bit the way they said it was that I I had been a burden to the system for the sort of four years when I was studying because I wasn't working and I had access to like the NHS so I wasn't paying any um, national insurance or anything which meant that yeah to the system those years couldn't count towards applying for like the, the official like settled status or or anything so you know it's interesting that because I think of like I get 
that point of you can, you're not having income, so you're not paying income tax or nurse insurance, yeah. but you're still paying sales tax, you're still paying other taxes. Yeah, and all the, the money into the university. <laughs> exactly, and you are funding uh, an economy in, in learning and higher education. Yeah. So for me, it feels stupid because also my friend who's South African, he got an ancestry visa for the United Kingdom and his master's year counted. Ah, well, interesting, because I remember in having a New Zealand passport, I thought, oh, you know, it's like Commonwealth, surely it's easy. <laughs> and uh, they said no, like, if anything, it was probably more difficult. And um, and I remember even when I once was arriving into Portugal and my Portuguese passport, I think, had expired, or I was sort of between passports, and I didn't even think about it, and I had my New Zealand one. And I was at the border, con border control, and I showed them that, and they're like, well what are you doing here? And I said, I'm, I'm, I work here. And they're like, well, where's your visa? I don't have one. Um, because I obviously I mostly travel on my Portuguese passport. So I had to show them the Portuguese ID and they called like the manager and then eventually said like, okay, yeah, you can, you're fine. Next time bring the other passport. Just, you know, even if it has expired, like just make sure you have both. It's just fair. But I mean, that is such a, uh, I guess, a unique problem for dual nationality citizens. But one which most people won't have thought about. So yeah, for that insight. Yeah, you know, just never know. It's it didn't even cross my mind. It's like, oh, I, yeah, of course, I, I I can't just be in the UK on a New Zealand passport without a visa. Uh, yeah, that to me seems bonkers. I know. Yeah. Same, but yeah, here we are. Uh, I've been working now for over five years, so I've got my settled status, and I can. You know, what is it like? Indefinite leave to remain. Mm. Would you, I guess, is, you can't really have a third passport. Would you give one up? No, I, I, I wouldn't. I guess the, the UK one's getting worse or getting less <laughs> valuable. Or yeah, it doesn't appeal. <laughs> doesn't appeal right now. Maybe at some point. Yeah. God save the king could be in a, a reason to. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I think that's, uh, unless you have anything more to add of how you got to the UK, I think that's a good uh, a good overall picture of your, your life so far. Yeah, <laughs> I think Perfect. nothing else. So welcome back to the podcast and welcome to section two, all about being there. So Kate, now we know how you got to the UK. Um, this is where we kind of dig in a bit deeper and scratch surfaces and see your, I guess, opinions uh, of, of, of the countries or places you've lived and kind of just do a, a cultural comparison from home. Or from, I guess, you can also throw in the cultures within New Zealand that you know of. So let's start with Canterbury. <laughs> you arrive on the plane. It's Freshers' Week. <laughs> what is that like? Because Freshers' Week is mad anyway. Yeah, I um, it was so funny because yeah, maybe even like explain what Freshers' Week is. What would you say it is? It's just a week of madness to begin university life. Normally, it's two weeks, <laughs> <laughs> so it's not even one week. Uh, well, it was in Liverpool where I did my bachelor's um, and it's effectively one big uh, meet and greet because usually you've got, I don't know, um, every single fresh-faced 18-year-old or 19-year-old coming into halls, living away from home for the first time, working out how a pan works or <laughs> the dishwasher or the washing machine, how to go buy groceries, you know, the usual stuff. And you're thrown in with a lot of people the same age uh, and lots of parties which are planned for the week. So you spend a lot of money if you're me. <laughs> yes, 
yes that's basically what it was I so I remember yeah my mum and I arrived and we sort of I don't know if we maybe had a day or we sort of went like shopping you know I guess I didn't have like pillows or I didn't come over with any bedding and you had to like pick up all of that stuff but I remember actually before I moved being like an international university they'd like paired me with like another international student so like we could have like one person we each knew um like arriving at university even like we weren't on the same course or anything and in a way it was a way of like oh you know what what uh what accommodation have you gone for or you know what uh are you going to get the wristband for the freshers week and uh it's literally stuck in my head because I remember as I said I didn't really know what it was I remember you know it, it said like yeah a lot of parties and this and that and and it felt like oh, I guess I can decide each day if I want to go and she, this other girl I had spoken to, she said, oh, I'm, I'm not going. I don't see the point. And, um, and when I arrived, I think that's the biggest mistake was not getting that wristband. Yeah. Um, because you immediately felt a little bit left out. Um, so I think when I moved, obviously living in halls, you sort of lumped in with like, I think I was with like six other people. Um, and everyone's like super different, uh, I think everyone I lived with was English, actually, every one, no, there was one German guy. Um, everyone else was actually English. So for them, it was all expected. And I remember like that first day and first night, I sort of, I literally didn't even know what was going on. You know, like, where, <laughs> where's, what's happening? Like, what, what is this? What are you guys doing? And I, it was all a bit scary, actually. I remember obviously my mum had left and you sort of left alone and I'm sure probably the same feeling that regardless of having moved from another country it still feels a bit daunting to be have your own little room with these other strangers um and sort of breaking the ice and and getting to know everyone um but yeah freshers week was a learning curve <laughs> uh, it was really good like i think i think like i understand why english universities do that um like a freshers week to like break the ice you get everyone sort of to let loose a little bit, get to know the people they live with. Um, you learn, um, as you said, all those sort of things. You, you sort of ease into university life and that sort of life of living, for the most part, by yourself. Uh, yeah. And usually it's a good, uh, I guess the freshest week for me was about 10 days before my first class. Yeah. yeah. So it meant you, if you moved city or country, uh, you you kind of knew how to live yeah, before so it work. Exactly. So it was like the sort of time where you suddenly get, um, you have enough time to sort out like the admin things. So when I moved, I didn't have an English bank account. And I remember, um, I remember that was actually quite difficult because I needed to have proof, like a sort of letter or something with my address. And I didn't have it. And, uh, and then obviously every other 18 year old is getting a bank account, having moved a lot of people abroad. It was a lot of people that were international at this university. And I had like a wait time of like a week or so, or maybe it was two weeks to actually get a bank account. And, you, you know, it's things that maybe, this was like 2011, right? So I guess now with things like Monzo and Revolut and, and all these things, it wouldn't be an issue. Um, I mean, that's how I survived here was because it took me four months to get a bank account in Sweden yeah it, it was mad I was something I'd never even considered um so that in itself you know you have a week to be like okay what do I need to figure out what do I need to do and by the time classes start you're like okay I sort of know my way around I you know some familiar faces around me doesn't feel as scary 
Um, but yeah, I I remember. Um, I think when I maybe like when I did move over, I always felt that living in Portugal with a name like Kate and not looking particularly Portuguese um, <laughs> meant that I did sort of feel like an outsider when I was there. Um, I literally never really felt like I fit in, like truly. I think a lot of times you'd go out and maybe, especially in Lisbon um, or like a bigger city, people would speak to me in English and it would only be when I would then speak in Portuguese and like flawless Portuguese accent that you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, sorry, you're Portuguese. You're one of us. Yeah, <laughs> basically. And I guess that's quite useful for knowing if someone's talking about you behind your back, like, oh. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it would happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, or if you want to get out of something, you can just speak in English. No one knows any different. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I wondered to an extent if when I moved to England, if I would feel any different. Um, because I guess when I was growing up, I, I didn't necessarily watch the same TV shows as my friends did, like the Portuguese shows. I would watch a lot of the English ones. Um, and I, a lot of the TV I watched was probably English or, you know, um, any sort of movies, you know, I wouldn't watch the Portuguese like dubbed versions. I would watch all the English ones. So when my friends would be singing the sort of Disney theme songs, they would sing the Portuguese versions. And I'd be like, oh. I, mean, I didn't realize was a thing until I was in, I was here in Sweden and I went out whilst I was with, with my work colleagues and under the sea started playing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I know this one. And then it was all in Swedish. Yeah. And I was like, what? They ruined, they ruined the song. I know. And all my Swedish friends were singing along. And I was like, this is not right. No. That's what I grew up with. I'm like, this isn't right. Like, the accents aren't right. This is wrong. <laughs> and it was, yeah, I guess I never, I, maybe I never really felt like truly Portuguese. Like, I didn't get all of the same references. I, you know, I was clearly that sort of kid that was between two cultures. I, I and this is so mad, I remember being... I don't know, like seven years old, and uh, and our teachers asking us to like fill in this like form of when you're learning about breakfast and lunch and dinner and bedtime, and I put in I don't know maybe like my bedtime was like eight thirty or or something like that, really? maybe even a seven thirty. I I don't. It was it was really early, and yeah. my teacher came over to me separately and was like, I think you did this wrong. Um, I was like, No, that's literally when I go to bed. And not dinner time. <laughs> literally, I didn't get them wrong. And my friends would mock me and be like, "Oh, you know, I, I, uh, if you go to bed at that time, I'm still having dinner at nine 30. I was like, "Well, I'm not the kid with bags under my eyes." Um, but it's it's like super different culturally. Like I, I, I think I, I just I couldn't understand, you know, when people would say those things to me. I was like, oh, my way felt normal. Um, I guess you don't know any difference, but. Yeah, I guess when I moved to England, I still felt completely in between cultures because obviously I still didn't have any of the English references. Um, I didn't, when I was in New Zealand, I, I didn't have the same references either and I didn't have a New Zealand accent, so I was also never a Kiwi. Uh, so it's like just embrace the international person that I am, maybe. I think that's a really good point of like feeling displaced constantly because mm. I think... Um... I know I've got a lot of friends here whose parents left like Yugoslavia or what was it? The Baltic countries as things are happening. And they still, you know, have a strong connection to Croatia or Serbia or Bosnia, wherever they're from. 
and when I talk to them, they're like, oh no, I'm, I am I grew up in Sweden, but I am Croatian or I am Bosnian. And they go home a lot, but then they feel kind of like, as you're saying, like you don't know which nationality you assimilate with. Yeah. But it's also quite, it's a blessing and a curse because as I said, fitting in can be difficult, but then fitting in can be really easy, I guess, in other cases, because you have mutual interests or some kind of connection with many people. Yeah. That you can make friends uh, as you're an adult, maybe more than a child. <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, and, and I completely agree. It, it was it was more so that, you know, when you're younger, you really just want to fit in. Um, and you, the sort of older you get, you realize, you know, why, I guess, it, 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 every being international isn't a bad thing. You know, not, not necessarily fitting into a culture just means you actually have more cultures to pull from in a way um so i i didn't i've sort of don't see it in as a bad thing obviously i see it as as something that was just a learning experience in a way of no and you i hope you never do see it as a bad thing because it's such a wonderful thing to have uh the ability to be so empathetic to three different nations now or nationalities now which is you know such a lucky uh perspective to have yeah um so i guess we've done fresh this week um what was it like i guess then so i was obviously socializing once you've learned some references was it quite easy because i'm guessing your english language level was was basically fluent yeah i again i think it was like the, the comfortable choice obviously coming to england because obviously yeah english literature made sense to be in england but also i wasn't coming from to it from a place that i needed to learn another language um i did have probably all the mistakes that a lot of foreign people do in terms of I don't know being told we were going to the Shakespeare Shakespeare's Globe and and uh, me asking how to get to Southwark <laughs> I mean I just missed uh, the Bicester when I first moved yeah out. but even in England you have that problem no worries so you know it, it's all like I what are you I, I don't understand what these people are telling me it, it's um it's all part of the fun I guess and 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 I you know occasionally I think when I moved to England, it would happen a lot more in English that people would be like, you know, you're saying that, that that's not how you say it. Or like to me, what I think it was like, and I had genuinely have to stop and think about this so I don't say it wrong still, but uh, <laughs> drum and bass. <laughs> I for all my life, I probably would have just called it like drum and bass. And um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just, you know, it's the sort of things that you that you say in your head, but no one's ever called you out. Like, you've never maybe said it out loud. You just read these things. And so eventually I'd Very have... Very good point. Yeah. Uh, did you learn the English spellings of English words, or was it the American spellings as well? Mm, I, I I think for the most part, always English. Um, and I remember... You more letters. Yeah. I was quite conscious about that with the C's and Z's and S's and whatever. Adding U's um, everywhere. Yes, yes, of course. Um. <laughs> but also um, on that, um, I've got a few Spanish friends, uh, and they learn through reading books. And then I was asking them some questions, and then my friend David would always like add an extra ed at the end of every <laughs> single like word that he like compounded it. And yeah, that's just how I read it. Like because in English it's a nuance, or like um, a bomb, or a comb. Um, you don't know it's a silent B because you've only read it and you just know what that, that, that word is. It's a, a comb for your hair or, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I guess like because I obviously I did speak in English with my dad, it, it was never that bad, but it was it was very much like in my head I was probably still thinking in Portuguese. And so I almost, like you know, you sort of slightly slower to like think about things. Where writing, 
I had no problems. I think like th that was fine. It was more like you don't speak. I didn't speak English necessarily every day. So it's just the shift of, oh, okay, well, now I'm doing everything in English. Yeah. And do you now think in English or dream in English or is it Portuguese? Or both? I, it's, it has changed. It 100% has changed. I think I do think and dream everything in, in English now. Um, but I think when I go home, like for like a week, you start to see it change back. Um, but yeah, it's, it's brutally changed. Like it's everything is English these days. That's why I imagine like you you know you're fluent in a language or uh, like it's competent when you can start thinking for yourself in that language or dreaming in it. Yeah, I think my dad once made this joke. Maybe he was serious about it. Of like, I think you know when you know a language when you know how to say a really random word like coat hanger. Oh really? So I should learn. Actually, I've got a Swedish dictionary <laughs> somewhere else. Actually, right here. Yeah, and then it struck me the other day, like, I don't know if I remember what it's called in Portuguese. I'm not fluent anymore. What is it in Portuguese? I'd say like, is how I'd call it. But it genuinely took me like, oh my God, I'm not a Portuguese person if I don't remember how to say this. This is such such good for the podcast, me just looking around, looking for the word coat hanger. Pressure is on. Oh, coat hanger, here we go. Gal, G-A-L-G-E. Take a you are now fluent in Swedish. I know. God, just my <laughs> SFE, just, I passed it all. Done. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, <laughs> the next question I have is about uh, kind of working in England. I, I'm assuming you didn't work in Portugal because you were still mm. pre-university age. But no. You're, culturally, you still have a, a, a view of Portuguese working culture. How yeah. was the UK different? Um, it's, yeah, it's a good question. I, f I feel like um, thinking about it now, I I always had this idea that in Portugal you always, I think like you, you do tend to work longer hours or obviously not every industry. Um, I would say like I work in tech now and I see like my my brother's husband sort of does the same is like a similar role and I see his sort of working hours are now very similar to mine. It's like, it's really, it, I think like it's, it's probably changed over time where now every, every sort of company in Portugal, if they're like a tech based company, they also have to, um, they also want to attract international talent as well. So it's, it's very similar to what you have in England of a sort of nine to 6 PM or nine to five, um, same sort of thing. Um, so in terms of like that aspect of it is now the same, but I, I just remember thinking like th this is maybe like a slightly off topic in terms of work, but in Portugal, you, you grow up realizing that you can just go to the shops at any time or like everything is just open longer. Um, like, if, like shopping centers would be open until like 11 PM. So if I finish work, I can just go still shopping after work versus here in England, like you finish work and you're like most places are like closed at like six um so it, it, that was something that to me even was like, like something I had to get used to of like I'm working now so I can't just go and do all of these things after work I can't go to the bank after work I can't um like but everything just closes um whereas in Portugal you sort of get a bit more used to oh I can just pop out and do my errands like a bit later um not everything obviously the bank does close and post office does but for the most part you'd you'd be able to do everything after work which, yeah, obviously in England, you you just you definitely can't do it. I mean, it's interesting because I've, I've lived in cities mostly. 
And only when I moved to Leamington Spa was when I noticed that, okay, I've been closed at five. Or, but I'm used to like being able to do anything after work. And you still can in like supermarkets and things. But yeah. when I came here to Sweden, nothing was open. Like on a Sunday, things are just closed. People don't do anything. I had to do all like my go to the tax agency, everything else during work hours. Go to yeah. the bank and work like, it's fine. You've got to go and do it. And I was like, what? Yeah, can you just leave and, and do life admin? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you can't it, do your job if you can't do life admin. So. Yeah, it's, it was, it's such a weird one because it, it, you almost feel a bit guilty if it's like, no, I have to do this and I can't do it any other time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think there, there's so much now about working in Portugal that I don't know in terms of like benefits that they give you um, for, I, I don't even know, like tax things that I hear like friends now talk about. I'm like, wow, I'm so out of the loop now that it, it's it's almost a bit alien to me. Um, but in, in some ways, I don't know if it would appeal to me to like go and work from Portugal. Um, I I. I like being able to like work from there, <laughs> but in some ways I don't know how well I'd also like adapt now. And I feel like language wise, because I've never worked in Portugal, in Portugal, I don't really have like the business vocabulary to speak and like do all my work things in Portuguese, which is also, it's like trying to explain your job to like your parents and in the, in a different language. You're like, I don't, I don't know how to say this. Is your dad fluent in Portuguese then? <laughs> he is. Uh, uh, yeah, he's definitely fluent, but he does not talk if he can uh, avoid it. So I, um, I don't think I could ever speak to my dad in Portuguese. I think I, I, I would just laugh too much is one thing. But I don't... <laughs> not unless you doesn't... want to talk about some of the family members you have that as a backup. Maybe I guess Kiwi family members. That is. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we we have done that while Everybody abroad. Yes, it. but that would be like the one thing. It's because otherwise you're like, no, it, it's too weird to speak to in Portuguese. It, it's it's too unnatural. Wow. Um. And then, is there anything else which like shocked you between Portugal and the UK? Um. You you can say no. It's fine. <laughs> I I don't think so. I mean, I I I think because of when I moved and having moved for university. I feel like a lot of those like things that maybe were shocking would have been regardless because it was still moving away from home, right? It was just uh, everything was in a different language. You chose to move that bit further. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I guess we'll call a conclusion to section two. Um, thank you. And we'll see you for section three. So, hey, and welcome to section three of the podcast, which I still haven't actually named. But it's effectively a recap um, of your time in the UK. Um, so I guess if you, the first question I usually ask is if you could go back to the day you moved and you could tell yourself something or some, give yourself some advice, would you give yourself some advice first of all? And if so, what would it be? Oh, gosh, I've probably got quite a bit of advice I think I would give myself. <laughs> um, do you know what? There's like a few things that I have actually thought about um and like over time they still like pop into my head now and um maybe yeah maybe like one thing I do remember like being finding quite hard in in moving was um making friends which maybe sounds like a bit silly but I think when it as I was saying I didn't come from like a particularly big town most of my friends were people like I'd known for like 10 like 15 like basically like my whole life when I was there 
lived in the same house like my whole life, um, same city, like had never moved. And suddenly you're in this new place. And it's not friends that you sort of have from school that you see every day, right? As anyone going to university, you know that it's, you know, you might end up being friends with the people you live with in halls and like your accommodation. You might end up maybe being friends with people on your course. But those friendships don't just sort of develop from nothing. You have to put in the effort. And I remember at the time, um, in a way, maybe I was sort of in my head thinking, oh, I'm not going to stay here. I don't necessarily have to like invest in these friendships because I've got all my friends back home. And it was a terrible way of looking at it because, you know, you, regardless of thinking um, you weren't going to stay, you still need people around you that will support you and like that that you need that um if you need a friendship group and sort of a support network. And I remember calling my brother and being, and he's like three years older than me and asking him like, how do you make friends? Like, <laughs> like as an adult, it was like, I don't, I don't know anymore. Um, and I guess, yeah, I think like what I really learned from that was to just, um, I guess move out of your comfort zone a little bit, like join groups. Like the main reason I joined volleyball was, like I enjoyed it and I sort of felt like that would bring that sort of other friendship group and some ex some activity with like like-minded people that would at least have one shared interest or sort of hobby with me. Yeah. And I think that was like the best thing I could have ever done for like my university life. Um, and I, I, I only joined, I think, in my towards the end of my second year, maybe, or third year even. And I, I would like go back and say like, join a sports team as like or join any team from like the beginning as as soon as like you can like join different groups join like different things and just expose yourself to like those things where where you are interested in um and you'll eventually find these people who you know they're they're people that you do as i said like share a hobby with so they're not just these people that you live with or they're not the people that you studied with they're literally people who you'll bond over something that maybe you'll do together like in the future outside of university um so that was like definitely one thing i as i i learned from it when i went into my master's i joined volleyball again <laughs> I mean, that's a very good point you can't like just go to someone hey you're my friend like yeah. when you're six or yeah. ten or maybe even 15 if you're lucky but um <laughs> I, I think it's it's also like you realize that not everyone is you, you don't you're also not going to want to be friends with everyone and i think i didn't always appreciate that when i was when i'd moved is like I'm probably not going to be friends with all these people just because we studied together. Or, you know, I have to also be the one saying, like, do you want to grab a coffee after class or do you want to do something? Or, you know, it's like if you don't do that and they don't do that, you're never going to see these people. Um, yeah. It's yeah. kind of like you have to ask on a friend date or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. It's literally. It's still quite, quite nerving to do. I know because I, I had a similar thing where I grew up in a small village or town outside of a city. And I have all my friends, like my best friends from home I've known since I was like four. And they're still my really close friends. Um, and then going to university, okay, I knew my housemates, but I don't actually speak to any of the people I lived with in first year. Mm. I speak to people I lived with in second year and third year. Um, but most of my friends came from volleyball. Like you are the think, fourth person I've had on this podcast who I've <laughs> met playing volleyball. Uh which is surreal, and uh, you probably won't be the last. It's shown how uh, a, how international the sport is, and 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 b how, as you said, you know how great it is to use sports or hobbies or some kind of social, I guess, uh, fluid 
whether it's the uh, dance class or something is, is is the way to break the ice because you're not asking awkward questions or holding a drink in your hand. It's yeah, let's play this thing and you yeah. instantly unlock some vocabulary and some talking points. Yeah, and I think I think with anything as well that pushes you slightly outside your comfort zone, you're immediately um, you're immediately sort of pushing yourself to do something that is a bit different. And that is probably, oh, I'm going to go up and speak to these people because I'm here by myself and we're already doing this together. So I might as well like speak to them a bit more. And maybe if you were sort of just within the comfort zone and sort of trying to play it safe, you wouldn't even go up to speak to those people. So already sort of challenging yourself means you're a lot more open to like anything that's like a new opportunity, maybe. Um so I, I, yeah, like language courses, anything you want, like just world's your oyster. That's great. And I think, well, again, going back to that from, for me, I, I made a really good friend, Ethan, or like one of my best friends was after volleyball. We just always go to the pub and like watch football or play FIFA or eat chips and cheese because we're without basic, but we, we kept doing it like most weeks. I mean, yeah, we're, we're still close down. He's actually just been traveling on New Zealand. So. Yeah, great. But I mean, I was going to say, because even the same applies with um, when I moved to London, eventually, you're like, again, in this big city, don't, you know, a few people maybe from university and you're still like, oh, you do still need to make friends. Like, yeah, you can make some friends from work um, and they do end up being a sort of bulk of your friendship group, I guess. But it's still, you still have to put in the effort. You know, you still have to think like oh do i even like these people um you know will you sort of adopt them as your friends or or no um and when in what... the limbo zone of just co-work your friend or... yeah yeah exactly like once you don't work together do you still see them <laughs> and uh and yeah i mean even i've i've bonded with some friends so like previous roles through volleyball as well you know it's just it's the glue that holds everyone together <laughs> and you keep inviting me to this uh this thing in london <laughs> i still mean i should probably try and get you should yeah, you should. Um, yeah, but I was going to say as well, one thing that I would tell myself, um, to be fair, I stick by this in the sense of like you, if you're moving to like a country and you only really know like the main or, you know, everyone knows like the main city, you know, <laughs> I think it's people also need to remember that it's OK to go somewhere that no one else knows about, you know, in, in a way I remember thinking and feeling that a lot of people were sort of asking why, why oh, you're going to England, are you going to London? Or like, no, because I genuinely never wanted to move to London as a first experience because I felt like it was going to be too big, too big a culture shock, I'd just be swallowed up. I was probably not really going to enjoy it. Mm. And, you know, other cities... Very expensive. Also very, very expensive, yes. But it, it was almost like, you know, other cities can be really nice. And a lot of people, if you're moving to a new country, maybe like the biggest city feels like the safer option where actually you might have a nicer experience going somewhere that's still easily accessible but you know maybe you'll get more of like a community feel or maybe you'll get more of like this sort of real experience um and i think that really like contributed to me like even enjoying those first few years in england mm. that's a very good point i think uh, as you mentioned that there's, there's more to us to a country than it's kind of top tourist spots mm. and you're and if you're going to live there as well you're not a tourist all the time you're a resident so you need to go somewhere where it actually works for you um yeah and the uk's got so many beautiful places yeah it's Liverpool like, in particular of course and Oxford, but, yeah. Um, yeah. but you know it's like the luxury of 
I don't know, living in Oxford and you can just pop over to the Cotswolds or somewhere like gorgeous and, and you don't really get that as much in London. Um, obviously, yeah, you still can. River, but The river is so nice to just cycle on the tightrope. <laughs> yeah. And the architecture is incredible. And yeah. You still have all the amenities of London, plus it's only an hour away on the bus or yeah. train, so it's not that far. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, open-mindedness, I'd say, key thing. Explore. And it's probably easier to get to you from Heathrow than most parts of London. Unless you Actually, live. really is. Really is. Canterbury was only an hour away as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is Canterbury's in the east, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Gatwick would be where you went. Yeah, yeah. yeah true. Gatwick. So this is quite London-specific geography here. So. Challenging me as well. Um, and then any, what advice would you give someone leaving Portugal? Um, Apart do from doing it. <laughs> do you mean leaving Portugal to go anywhere else? Yeah, anywhere in the world. Um, can we learn a second language because um, Brazil's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think like the thing is, most people in Portugal have pretty good English, so it's like pretty safe to assume that most places you'll get by with English. Um, even if you don't know, like like you in Sweden, you can get by with English, right? Um, yeah, and my Spanish colleagues, um, my German colleagues. They all speak English. Yeah. So, of learning Swedish, but English is the international language, which is yeah. why people like me find it hard to learn other languages because everyone just wants to talk English, English to you. Yeah, it's but true. But some I, of us do try, and I'm I, one. Swedish strikes me as quite a hard one, actually. But, uh, it's very similar to German, just with a weird accent. Well, not weird, it's just different. Sorry, yeah. sweet. I, you know what? I would actually say the main thing I would also say to someone leaving Portugal is the weather will most likely also be a shock in most places coming to england like the the i don't know the the hours of daylight is just depressing apart from in the summer i i've left england and thought it's more depressing where i am now yeah if you so like it yeah i mean it's it, it was difficult um the first winter was especially difficult but i think to give the UK its credit, we're a lot more sociable in the winter, mm. especially because the drinking culture is a lot more yes. like, let's go for a one drink. Here, it's not so much. It's very much like being, you don't really drink in the week, and then you drink a lot of the week in the week. Well, it mm. becomes more um, more like freeing, I guess, or like you're celebrating the, the finish of the, week, the weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, which made it a bit easier. But yeah, it's interesting to, to think about daylight, and it yeah. took this long to work the weather. Which is yeah, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> no, um, you had weather, 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 weather. Yeah. <laughs> See, maybe it's me becoming English now. Yeah, but you, yeah, English. You just mentioned it in six seconds. So. It's true. It's true. I'll give myself a pat on the back. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's probably the most depressing thing of having moved to England is is uh, lack of sunshine and uh, going home and being told how uh, even more pale than normal you actually. <laughs> what? And even less people talking Portuguese to you. Mm, yes. <laughs> I'm a true foreigner. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, well, what a great way to end. Uh, one, one final question, I guess, is would you do it again? Absolutely. 100%. I, yeah. Move, moving anywhere, I think, was super good, like, personally. Um, even, like, right at 18, it was such, like, a foundational part of, like, building your own identity like away from what you know and just really mm. pushing yourself and I 100% grew as like a person and and I would recommend it to anyone like just even move for like three months and change your view on like everything 
perfect. And what's the future? Are you going to stay in London for the foreseeable <laughs> or? For now, there's like a little niggle maybe of something there is beneath the surface. I don't know. If you can we... move anywhere tomorrow. Somewhere warm and sunny. I, you know, it, it's, it's sort of like because of like work. Um, where I work, I work mostly with people from Stockholm, Gibraltar and Malta. Um, mm. and you know, I wouldn't say no to spending like a few months working from the Malta office. Um, Malta's nice. Is it yeah. in Valletta? Yeah. Uh, Sliem. Yeah, Valletta's good. Yeah, it is nice. Like office by the beach. You literally look out at the ocean. So I wouldn't say no to that for a you little while. Go work in Popeye's village. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, uh, I do not see myself living in England for the rest of my life. Let's put it that way. So going somewhere warm, like a, yeah. like a bird in winter flying south. You know? Yes, <laughs> that is me. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Well, uh, yeah. so, so, so thank you, Kate, for, for joining me for this or in, indulging me on this podcast journey I decided to go down on. Um, and yeah, it's it's so nice to finally ask you a lot of like deep personal questions, which I don't, I never really asked you through knowing you so long it's always been around like going out or uh, volleyball and stuff it's never been um you know about your background or your your childhood or your story so thank you for sharing that all with me i never knew that your parents were lectures of the <laughs> of what you studied and even then totally um so that was really quite good fun to understand that and as i've said with most of my guests now it's like such a wonderful thing to to have a conversation about the topic so deep and yeah. i think you, you learn quite a lot about about the person you're talking to so thank you for joining me <laughs> thank you no it's been great wonderful and i don't know if you want to like share your socials or anything for people to find you that's really great <laughs> i'm happy for people to follow i used to have my own travel blog um it's not so active these days but uh it still it exists yeah tracking kate i used to be <laughs> Um, still are I still am yes I'm still tracking and tracking the world but uh, yeah less actively blogging myself these days but traveller at perfect and if you did find something fun or interesting or useful in the podcast please let us know in the comments please let us know on social and as always please like share subscribe there's even a Patreon now so you can follow and support me on that if you wish to uh, yeah hopefully we'll see you next time